This is Against All Enemies, a show about threats to American democracy. Political violence is on the rise. An alarming percentage of Americans believe they may have to take up arms against their neighbors. Some are already doing so. Against All Enemies highlights the activities of extremist organizations and their enablers. Our goal is to educate, not to alarm. The threats are real. But if we know what we are up against, together we can beat them. It is easy to become desensitized to the litany of outrageous things that Donald Trump has said over the years. But there is a reason that historians are concerned about Mr. Trump's latest stump speech. We pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. Calling your political opponents vermin and the threat from within, we, we've heard that before. In Mein Kampf, Adolf Hitler referred to Jews as vermin worthy of eradication, and Benito Mussolini would refer to his opponents as parasites and reptiles. So Donald Trump is following in some appalling and notorious footsteps of the most violent, dangerous men of the 20th century, or at least some of them. And Trump didn't end there. Here he was in the very same stump speech talking about the home invasion and the brutal attack on Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, an attack that was carried out by a right-wing extremist. Nancy Pelosi is a crazed lunatic. She's a lunatic. She is a crazed lunatic. What the hell was going on with her husband? Let's not ask. Let's not ask. I'll withdraw that statement. By the way, she's got a wall around her house. Obviously, in that case, it didn't work very well. It's Ken Harbaugh with Against All Enemies on the Midas Touch Network. We are seeing, in real time, the implosion of a once respectable political movement. Today's Republican Party is a shell of its former self, and the only way it can hope to cling to power is by bringing out the worst in its followers. But the Republican Party isn't just dying. It's doing everything it can to drag America down with it. The most dangerous aspect of this meltdown isn't the habitual lying coming from its leaders. It's not even the attacks on women's rights or the rejection of science. It's the normalization of violence. We have reached the point where the rhetoric of political violence, so grossly deployed by the former president during campaign events like the one you just saw, is now being acted out by his acolytes. In just the last few weeks, a Republican senator challenged the head of the Teamsters to a fistfight during a committee hearing, and two Republicans, one of whom was the former Speaker of the House, got into a physical altercation in the halls of Congress. I wish I thought these were isolated incidents, one-offs, but they are the direct result of a party that has embraced violence as a means to solve political problems. If you thought January 6th was a wake-up call for Republicans about the dangers of going down that road, think again. Those insurrectionists are hailed as heroes by many leaders within the Republican Party, including the former president. He has suggested he might pardon them. And here is a version of the national anthem sung by the insurrectionists with a voiceover by Donald Trump 
that routinely features at campaign events. I'm not going to play the whole thing because no one deserves that, but here's a clip. I need to jump in with a voiceover here because, believe it or not, we cannot use the audio of this rendition of the National Anthem. It's been copyrighted by none other than Donald Trump. So I'll do my best to narrate, especially for our podcast listeners, what's going on here. It's a standard montage of patriotic scenes, flags waving, the Lincoln Memorial, the sun rising over the Washington Monument. But interspersed are these weird scenes of January 6th prisoners. There's a blurry image that looks like it's supposed to be an insurrectionist in orange prison garb. Then there are the hero shots of former President Trump walking in slow motion, the U.S. Marine Guards parting to let him pass, and then the national anthem sung by these insurrectionists pauses, and you hear Trump say this. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. The video goes on from there, and it's as cringe-inducing as it sounds. Sorry we can't use the audio itself, but somehow the former president now owns it. Back to my commentary. Enough of that. It actually makes my stomach turn hearing and seeing our national anthem twisted in that way. I am sure you noticed the ominous undertone that was dubbed under the anthem itself. There should be no doubt in anyone's mind that the political violence of January 6th that so many of us assumed was an aberration is now a feature of today's Republican Party. I spoke with Stuart Stevens about this. He's a longtime, high-level, former Republican political operative. He actually ran Mitt Romney's presidential campaign. And as the author of a number of books about the demise of his party, I can't think of anyone more qualified to help us understand what is going on and the danger the Republican Party poses to American democracy. My full interview with Stuart is coming up on Burn the Boats. Here's an excerpt. I want to talk about political violence. We all point to January 6th as yeah, a and your brilliant film. Thank you. Um, a, no, we did. a crescendo of political violence, the likes of which we've never seen. But obviously there was a lot that led up to that. And to me, the, the approval the endorsement of political violence coming from political leaders now, uh, not just the apologies for the January 6th insurrectionists, but the the performative violence of people like Mark Wayne Mullins. I don't know if you saw him stand up at the Senate hearing. Um, you've yeah. got Republican members of Congress assaulting each other in the halls. That happened on the same day. And I know it, it seems like a massive leap to connect that to January 6th. But the desensitization that we've experienced, the bar has been, the threshold has been so lowered that violence from a sitting senator. Think about it. I mean, I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, right? You know, the disputes that used to be settled out behind the crystal in the parking lot after the Friday night football game are now what's happening in the United States Senate. You know, and most of us thought we were, you know, you're an idiot if you went out there and settled it behind the crystal when we were 16. Um, I, you know, there's been a long re- Republican principle. We ought to reduce the size of federal government. Okay, we never did it. We just increased it, but say that. So now how does DeSantis verbalize that? Not that we need to reduce the size of the government. 
We need to slit their throats. How does DeSantis articulate his opposition to Fauci's policies, though he endorsed Fauci's policies until he got a poll saying it wasn't good for him in his base? Not, you know, I disagree with the, uh, these policies. Uh, you know, I think we need it. Somebody ought to throw that little elf across the Potomac, which is particularly ironic in considering that get DeSantis in his bare feet and he's only a couple of inches taller than Fauci. Um, and I'm not sure Fauci couldn't talk to DeSantis. Um, and if you listen to the debate the other night, it was childish. It was like, you know, my daddy can beat up your daddy. Thanks for listening, everyone. I've got a quick break here, but I need a favor first. Shows like this depend on your support. Please, if you can spare five seconds, click the link to the podcast version of the show below and leave us a five-star review. It really does help. Thanks. This, you know, competition, who could be the most bellicose, who could be the most angry, who could be the most... Um, What country, I, I, I swear to God, the next debate, I, I, I promise you, at least Ramaswamy is going to be talking about invading Canada. You know, he went up to the Canadian border where I can, where, from where I'm sitting, I can ride my bike to the Canadian border about half an hour. And let me tell you, I do it a lot. The northern border is looking good. There's not, there's not a real problem here with like Canadians are going to drive massive numbers of their Lexuses over the border to invade, you know, Vermont, New Hampshire. We don't need a wall. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, um, it, it is a normalization of violence um, that is an integral part of an autocracy. And when you l listen to what Republicans have said now about what they were being told by their colleagues, that their colleagues who wanted to vote for certification, but were afraid for their lives and their families. Mitt talks about this. And I mean, Mitt's a guy spending $5,000 a day in security. And, you know, most people can't afford to do that. Um, you know, I know when Liz Cheney was running for re-election, her campaign, her ability to move around in that state was greatly hindered by a realistic assessment of threats. And that's not a democracy. You know, if you can't vote the way you want to vote because you fear that the other side may kill you, that's not a democracy. So that's become acceptable. And, you know, there's, there's a really fascinating book by this uh, Canadian journalist, I forget his name, Stephen Marsh, I think it is. Yeah, we've, we've had who him. Who wrote a very interesting book. Pardon? We've had yeah, him on the show. You, you know, yeah, right. It is Stephen Marsh, right? That's correct. Yep. Uh, the, 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 the posits that America is in a civil war. And, you know, one of the points he makes, what's the difference between January 6th and Fort Sumner? Well, nobody died at Fort Sumner. <laughs> Not a bad point. Um, and he goes through the degree to which people thought the Civil War was unimaginable. 
even after Battle of Bull Run. Like this is obviously going to. It's a very compelling book. Um, you know, as a seventh generation Mississippian named for Jeb Stewart, I kind of take it personally. But, um, you know, we sort of tried this. Didn't work out too well. 